Hey, let's take a quick ad break to tell you about HubSpot. Long hours, crazy quotas, bad leads. Selling at a startup is hard work. Thankfully, HubSpot for Startups can help you grow your business without growing the stress. They have an all-in-one platform that connects all your teams together, plus they have a bunch of resources to help you scale. And they're offering a discount up to 90% off. So if you're ready to crush your sales, look no further than HubSpot for Startups. To see how much you could save, visit HubSpot.com startups. So um, before we get into this, I got to ask the listeners and you something. So Jack, our friend Jack Smith, introduced me to this guy a few years ago. And I don't even want to say what the service is yet. But ba- okay, I-, I think I could say a little bit. There's a ride sharing service, one of the ride sharing services. <laughs> and what this guy does is, he ha- I think this is how he does it. I don't exactly know. But you can buy discounted credits right so you know how uh, i pay 20 bucks and i get 40 dollars worth of rides have you done it so he showed it to me years ago right this was like i don't know how how long two years ago maybe he showed it to us and i was like oh great i take rides all the time would love to then as i went through the website i was like is this like a a is this a scam i don't think so because jack said he's doing it and he recommended it i've done it But but then i was like is this going to get my account banned? Like, this is too good to be true. So my skepticism went off. I, st- I didn't do it. I forgot about it. And then he posted about it in, the, in our private My First Million Facebook group. He said, hey, did you guys know about this? It's a really cool, clever uh, hack and system that this guy's created. Uh, Jack loves those things. So t- tell me more about what, what's got your high here. Yeah, so he has this service. Now he's doing it for uh, a, similar things. And okay, so Jack was like, hey, you should have this guy on the podcast. And I'm like, Okay, so pros, this guy is a hustler. He's doing amazing stuff. And I, I'm pretty sure, I think he's either said it or I figured it out. I'm pretty sure the way he does it, this guy's in India. I think what he does is he has a network of like thousands of teenagers and kids. And he just gives them a first ride on, on, on a ride service. And he gets the $10 back like in referral and then sells it. Right. So he, he's gaming the, ex- it's, it's not, a, uh, for, as far as I understand, it's not like a, illegal. There's no like sort of illicit hacking or anything. He just says, hey, they have a referral. They have a referral system, which is cool. You get a, you know, um, every time you refer somebody, you get a certain amount of credits. And what he realizes he can do cheaper, maybe shorter rides in India. And that will count as uh, a new customer that's been referred. And so he can give you in the U.S., uh, you know, your full credit for a, a, a lightweight ride there. And the arbitrage, there's some money. He keeps some money and we get a saving. And then the, the ride, the person who takes the ride gets a free ride. So it's like a win-win-win for everybody but the service. And to add to complexity, if you pay with Bitcoin, you get a bigger discount, which is what I've done. <laughs> and if you like do X, Y, Z, like it's, it's, it looks incredibly shady. Long story short, it's interesting. It's a cool story. It's definitely, it's not a scam, but... It's questionable about the ethics. And so do we want to promote this or not? Um, uh, yeah, of course. I, it, uh, my, it's not promoting it. I am interested in this guy's story. And I think a lot of people would be interested in it. You can make your own judgment after you hear him out as to, well, yeah, we've been I'm called out for, for promoting unethical behavior. 
Yeah, but people will call you out for whatever. I, I don't think we're promoting anything. Uh, it's one thing. Okay, it's promoting if we say, this is awesome, go do this. Okay, that's fair. But that's an opinion, right? Uh, but I, I think the right thing to do is to say, hey, here's somebody who's doing something interesting. They, are, they found a way to hustle and create, uh, you know, create a business for themselves as well as value for others. Um, we should hear them out. And then let people judge for themselves. Is this like past the gray area and, and not, not cool for them? Or is this actually like, you know, fine? And so I think, I think that's, we should leave that up to the listener. But our job is to tell the story. And also, I'm curious. So why not have him on? Who cares? If Capital J journalist. All right. Well, uh, he's met, he messaged you and I. We'll, we'll set it up. Um, I don't even know if he speaks English well enough. I guess we'll find out. Right. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll find out. We'll bring him on. So I had some other of these... Um, um, these are more like actual scams, but I wanted to talk about them. I don't know why. I wanted to just tell you some things that I've seen. Okay, so um, recently, I don't know if you've seen on YouTube or if it's just in my recommendations, but all day, every day, there's a live stream of Chamath Palihapitiya, who's kind of like a known investor, early Facebook guy, billionaire. Um, it's like Chamath talking about Bitcoin. And it has always like 40, 50,000 live viewers watching it at any given time. And it says, Bitcoin giveaway, Chamath Bitcoin giveaway. And what they did, so what someone's doing, which is just totally a scam, they have a stream going. They have a video embedded of Chamath talking about Bitcoin from like five years ago. It's not Chamath doing this, by the way. He's trying oh to get it God. taken down. And then on the screen, it says, Bitcoin giveaway, send me your address and I'll send Bitcoin to somebody. And I think they're just making money off the ad revenue of this live stream. Um, and it has like 40, 50,000 people. I'm sure some of that's bot traffic and some of it is real traffic. Um, but it's hilarious that somebody's doing this like, A, what a waste of time. And B, it's hilarious that YouTube allows this. Chamath's trying to take it down. Um, but A, okay, so that's one little thing I noticed. Here's another one. Um, you know when the US government came out with the kind of PPP, like, hey, if you're unemployed or you're an employer and you have people, you can get access to money. So, um, of course, the Nigerian you know, sort of scammers came out and they actually took out $100 million from the system. I don't know if you heard about this. No. They just filed as either unemployed people or, or employers of unemployed people, uh, or sorry, employers Who's who qualify for PPP, the sort of Nigerian scam ring. It's, called, they, the, uh, what's it, it's called the 409 scam, I think it's called. Is that the name of the, the program? Is or that like the country code of it, it? So a lot of these guys are based out of Lagos, Nigeria, I think. Okay. And I think, and I believe that they're there because for some reason it's part of, I don't know how it got embedded in, into that particular culture where they're, where they, it became a thing. But I think, um, I also think that there's a uh, not really strict laws around, like there's a lot of loopholes in law that, that you can not get punished. So this guy totally scammed, uh, or these, these group of people scammed out $100 million uh, out of the government, out of the U.S. government, while the U.S. government was giving away money for like in a really intense two-week, three-week frenzy. Um, Abreu just linked some guy in, uh, from Wikipedia, Emmanuel Nwude, I don't know how you say his name, but he um, sold an airport for $240 million. He didn't own this airport. He just sold it, uh, which is crazy. Um, so there's that. And then here's some other ones that I, I thought were interesting. So, you know, super PACs, like the political um, fundraising thing, which sort of like gets around the normal uh, donation limits for individuals. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, it's like they like form a company or a fund and yeah. you give money to the fund and that fund's allowed to 
to donate a larger, larger quantity of money, right? So they're super packed for every cause. So my, uh, my friend who's, uh, my friend Jason had this hilarious idea. Uh, he didn't do this, but he was just like, he's very politically minded and he hated super PACs because he's like, oh God, like it's the super PACs who get behind, let's say the gun lobby or whoever that like fund these things that I don't agree with necessarily. And I just think super PACs are kind of shady. There's a lack of transparency, blah, blah, blah. And then he sort of had this idea of like, if you can't beat them, join them. So he was like, I know what I'll do. And I thought this was a hilarious idea. He's like, for every issue, I'm just going to spin up two super PACs, one taking each side. And I'm just going to raise all the money I can for both sides. And I'm going to take a cut <laughs> of, of both sides of it for every issue. Um, he's like, until they shut down super PACs. And I thought that was a hilarious way to fight super PACs. Didn't... Uh... Do you remember at Founders Dojo where I used to work out of, it was like this office that was kind of like Ehrlich Bachman on the TV show Silicon Valley. I think Dave did something like this where he <laughs> created a, a donation thing. Who was running Trump versus Obama, uh, Trump versus Hillary. And he created like, he like created something where he was like, pledge your support to Hillary. And then he also had a pledge your support for Obama. Right. Uh, Trump. <laughs> Trump. Like, he did both of those things. Yeah, exactly. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. I don't know. I, I don't know why I needed to bring up a bunch of fake scams. That what? I what's who's the wealthiest in. person who you know who got money off of like a shady way? Hmm. I gotta think about that. Do you have one? I don't know if this is shady, but I I have a bunch of friends that have made a lot of money, like thirty, forty, fifty million dollars off of what I consider to be borderline unethical internet marketing practices. Like for example who have run call centers like you know how you get a phone call from like marriott hotels mm -hmm. it's not really from marriott it's like or you know uh if you i knew a guy who had a company Wait, it, hold about, on so it's not really from marriott and then what i don't know how the scam works i get the calls all the time but they'll say like you know you won this you won like it's it basically they're selling you travel packages i see like you I were see. picked from a random drawing to get a discount on a all exclusive trip to sandals so it's, right. that's not unethical it's just obnoxious and then i know a guy who made a bunch of money off co uh, a co-registration company so like when you sign up uh on expedia they sell your email address to 18 other travel stuff and he was the middleman and he made like 50 million dollars and bet it all on uh in the stock market in one big <laughs> okay um the closest i the first thing that came to mind or the closest thing that came to mind i don't actually know this person but uh, i you know 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 the guy's kid and and this is the dad um so this guy naveen jane who oh was i know him ceo of this thing called infospace back in the day and it, like during the dot-com boom infospace was like you know riding high and then you know sort of overnight infospace crashes but he had sort of sold out or you know, protected his own interest right before the crash and was like, you know, everybody lost their jobs and their 401ks in the company. And this guy was like a billionaire. And um, so that was sort of shady. And then he started this thing called Intellius after the fact. Uh, I think that's the name of it. Yeah. And it had a similar outcome. Uh, yeah. Intellius is this like shady thing where you would sign up for a free credit check, I think, or it's like back, you could find information from public records about people or about yourself uh, I don't remember exactly what the what the product was because I don't spend too much time, you know, like thinking about this stuff. But basically, there was this tiny checkbox at the bottom, which was like, "Cool, you got this free credit check, but then we're going to charge you twenty bucks a month 
just kind of on subscription after that for blah, blah, some bullshit. And so they were making millions and millions of dollars and people were all like, wait, what am I getting? I just paid like $200 this year for Intellius. What does that mean? What, what is this? And people kind of screenshotted the flow and showed how like, you know, size four font, the, the, the fine print was that you're going to get charged for this thing. Um, and so that was pretty bad. Uh, yeah. That guy claims to be a billionaire. Yeah, exactly. And he's a pretty like kind of crazy charismatic guy. And he's now got this like company that's about going to the moon, like a rockets company and all kinds of stuff. But he's definitely, you know, behind that smile, there's definitely like some skeletons or some baggage. Um, like, you know, neither of those two, two stories, Infospace or, or I think it's called Intellius. Um, neither of those seemed like the most up and up um, companies. Well, let's talk about some legit companies. All right, so I'll do one. Uh, so this one actually comes also from Jack. Uh, so this is sort of the Jack episode. He's the guest, but we don't have him here. Um, so he was talking a little bit about baseball cards. And I know baseball cards are hot right now because Gary Vee has been really pumping baseball cards and talking about baseball cards all the time. And um, so baseball cards are like a collector's item. They have, they have value. They've, they appreciate over time. Um, it's, you know, like many, many goods of that kind. Um, now, one thing that's a common problem for people who are buying, selling, and trading baseball cards is the actual receiving of the, you know, you receive a shipment, you have to open it up, you hope it's not damaged, you have to verify that it's real, and then if you sell it, you got to sort of go through that whole shipping process right back to the other person, hope that nothing goes wrong in the process. And so, for people who are collecting these as a sort of financial asset in some ways, um, and they don't, they're not like sitting there trying to carry them with them to school or something like that. You don't need the physical card. He was saying, why is there not sort of a central repository where you can like a, you like, a, like a, like a safety deposit, a, a Fort Knox for, for the baseball cards where basically you buy and sell it online, but it never moves. It just sort of exchanges ownership, but it's all stored in the central vault where it's cooled properly. So they don't degrade. They're all verified by a professional there who's centrally located. You don't have to deal with any of the shipping costs or, or potential issues there. Yeah, so I think it's a pretty clever idea and obviously could extend to sneakers, could extend to art, could extend to other things. Maybe there's something that, like this that exists. I don't do baseball cards or art. Do you dabble with any of this stuff? Um, I got into shoes after I learned about them. We wrote about it on Trends about a year ago and I've since gotten into them, yeah, but not to the point of wanting to make money off of it, but to the point of like spending $300 on a pair. But I did do research on this, and it seems as though there's not a great solution. So Jack's on to something. We wrote about this, actually. Um, Heritage Auction House. What I would do if I wanted to create this, which I actually think this is a wonderful idea. I, don't, I, don't, I certainly don't have time, so I'm not going to. But this is a great idea. And what I would maybe do is contact a lot of the auction houses and be like, what are you guys doing now? Right. What, what, why can't this work? And... Right. Or collectors, uh, you know, high-end collectors, people who have a portfolio of these things, um, because I think it is a very small. It's a small. It's a niche community. Obviously, it's a small I don't number think it's of as people. Niche as you think. My point is that the kind of circle of influence is pretty tight here, where the number of people you would need to convince and that you could go learn from to see if this is a real problem is kind of small, and that's great. It's like kind of like online poker, where you just go get these fifteen pros to do something, and now they sway the rest of the casual community with them as like, oh yeah, that's the best practice. That's how we do things now. It's pretty interesting and I, I love it. And I like, it's, I wonder, I would have to imagine this has significantly better economics or maybe not than storage. So do you know how the companies like Clutter are doing? 
I always assume that those companies are on the verge of failure. Now, I don't know if they, because, and I think Omni actually, it's like, everything's going great. We keep raising money. We keep adding high profile people and we shut down. Like that's how these companies tend to go. Or they, they break out, you know. But yeah, but do you know that public storage? You know the company public storage? Public storage is huge, yeah. It's the most profitable company uh, on the stock market. Is that right? By, That's a pretty cool claim. Is that By the- margin. So it like does $4 billion in revenue and like $2 billion in net income. Interesting. Yeah, okay. it's like the most profitable thing. Now, they don't do what, they don't do all this high cost shit that all the new startups do where they like want to bring you your stuff. They just say like, Here's a room. Bring right. your stuff. It's yours. Give us a hundred dollars a month. Um, <laughs> but it it could be a, it, it's a really cool idea. I, that's my point. I, and so also another thing, I'm sure a lot of people know this, but I was ignorant and I didn't know this. But these storage companies, they're real estate businesses. Yes. Um, the, it's just a pl- it's just a way to get profit to buy real estate. A great book I read when I was in college that inspired me. I was like on the verge of going down the real estate track rather than entrepreneurial track or the sort of startupy track. Um, and it's called Confessions of a Real Estate Entrepreneur. It's an awesome book if you're a total noob and you're just curious about how, to, how the hell do people make money. It's not about the terms and the tactics and all that stuff. It's this one guy being like, I wanted to make it in real estate. So then, so he's like, my first deal, I had no money and I found this warehouse. And then I negotiated this and he just walks through deal by deal for like 10 deals of confessions of a real estate entrepreneur. And one of them was about storage. And, you know, the whole game with real estate is you sort of need to see value where others don't. So other people look at this 25,000 square foot store uh, warehouse and they say, okay, warehouses are valued at X dollars per square foot. So this building is worth Y. And what you need to say is, hey, if I subdivided this warehouse into tiny storage units and I add it all up, now it's worth, you know, X plus why dollars per square foot is more is worth more so i can go buy it i can actually pay more than the guy next to me because i'm gonna i know i can get more value out of it than that person can because i know how to change use or add value in some way that's what we work did they took office floors and say hey what if we subdivided it and rented this out by the desk and so that's like a common real estate strategy that's what storage units are and if anyone listening to this i think some people will get mad at me real estate has the highest ratio of rich and dumb people like, <laughs> right? Uh, yes. well, how do you, what, you know what I'm saying? Where it's I like know the exactly highest, what you're saying. It's got the highest ratio of low IQ, rich people. <laughs> yes. That's very true. <laughs> doesn't mean if you do real estate, you're low IQ. It means there are more wealthy people in real estate who are not superstar geniuses who, you know, work themselves. Normal, just normal, smart, hardworking people. Right. A normal, smart, rational person who uh, obviously had some skills, took some risks, but there are more wealthy people in real estate that way. If, if you just said, hey, Sean, you know, in the next 10 years, you die if you don't get wealthy, I'd be like, cool, go into real estate. Like that's, that's my best path. My highest likelihood chance of becoming wealthy is through real estate versus any other sort of venture. Yeah, it's the, it's the highest, it's the highest <laughs> dumb people to rich people job I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay, so that's, my, that's, that's Jack's, uh, Jack's idea, which is sort of Fort Knox for baseball cards. I like it. Uh, what else we got? Are we going to talk about hay? Did we talk about hay? I don't think we did. We didn't. Go for it. Um, okay, by the way, this, I, look at what I'm drinking here. I drink these all day. You see that? It's called Heineken Zero. It's not non it's not the same as non-alcoholic beer. It's zero alcohol beer. They're awesome. Wait, what do you mean it's not the same as non-alcoholic beer? What's, what's the difference? I don't know the legality, but the I drink a lot of non-alcoholic beer because I like beer. 
the normal non-alcoholic beer says it has less than 0.5% alcohol. This has 0.0. And Heineken said that this is their fastest growing category. And you like it. I love it. I've, I drink, I'll drink four a day. So what's in it that makes it taste, does it taste like beer or it tastes like something else? Uh, it's a, it's a, they call it a malt and yeast beverage. It's a unique recipe. It has 0% alcohol is brewed with pure malt and special a yeast, just like the original Heineken lager beer. Um, it has the same taste, but without the alcohol. See, that's hilarious. They sell the same product with, without the expensive ingredient and, and can charge the same for it. So here, well, let's give you less ingredients, water, malted barley, hop extract, and natural flavor. That's all it is. So, oh man, I love these. Uh, I drink them like crazy. Um, they're awesome. Okay. Um, we apparently, hey. we did talk about, Hey, a little bit, but what did you want to talk about? Uh, I just wanted to sort of call out the, the sort of marketing side of things, uh, of what they do. So have you read the book rework, which is their, the 37 signals book years ago, but years ago, they yeah. basically say that like one of the marketing principles that they talk about is like to have an enemy, right? Yeah. I think there's a chapter called pick a fight. Um, and I want to read it. So let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Okay, so here's a section of it. If you think a competitor sucks, say so. When you do that, you'll find others who agree with you and rally to your side. Being the anti-blank is a great way to differentiate yourself and attract followers. For example, Dunkin' Donuts positions itself as the anti-Starbucks. It it's ads mock Starbucks uh, for using you know these fake Italian words you know instead of just saying small, medium, large. Uh, or they'll do a campaign like uh, they made a site called DuncanBeatStarbucks.com where visitors can send e-cards with statements like, friends don't let friends drink Starbucks. Audi is another example. It takes on the old guard of car manufacturers. It puts old and old luxury brands like Rolls-Royce and Mercedes on notice by touting how it's a fresh alternative. Apple jabs at Microsoft with ads that compare Mac and PC owners, um, et cetera, et cetera. All these examples show the power and direction you can gain by having a target in your sights. Who do you want to take a shot at? You can even pit yourself as the opponent of an entire industry. Dyson's Airblade starts with the premise that the hand dryer industry itself is a failure and then tells and then positions itself as a faster, more hygienic option. I can't believe it's not butter puts the, puts the enemy right in its own name. Having an enemy gives you a great story to tell your customers. Taking a stand always stands out. People get stoked by conflict. They take sides. Passions are ignited. It's a good way to get people to take notice. What do you think? Yeah, I'm down. I, uh, right now, my enemy is the New York Times a little bit. And basically journalists who say they don't have a, a bias but like they can't admit that they do um so yeah i'm i'm down with that and with hey.com i call it hey.com i think it's working well i think that um so they picked uh who i think initially they picked just traditional email like gmail as the enemy um for being like cluttered you just keep getting spammed by random things it's email you don't want it's a headache um and now they picked Apple and it was a way better fight to pick because it's a more novel story and it doesn't seem as self-serving as when they picked Gmail as the competitor. And I like that. I actually like these guys a lot. And so I'm going to talk shit about them a little bit, but in general, I really like them and I respect them. But I do think that it's a little lame what they like. Some of these moves are a little bit lame because they also pick a fight with like main, main mainstream startups about giving equity when yeah they're like make millions of these guys probably make 10 million 15 million a year in profit and they're very very wealthy and i feel like it's a little hypocritical so they they um 
on Twitter, people are calling this beef marketing. So just have a beef with everybody just to keep, keep, your, keep your name relevant. And there's always going to be some people that agree with your side of the story. So for example, against the startup industry, they are anti-VC. Don't take funding. Be profitable. Which is weird because they've taken funding from Jeff Bezos. Right. But on the whole, they, they don't play this. Or they are profitable and they don't play the sort of uh, raise to A, B, C, D, E, like sort of get, get big, 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 big IPO. Um, so th- they pick that fight. They pick the fight of, you don't need to work 80 hours a week. 30 is enough. Be productive. Just be smart. Don't kill yourself. You don't have to be he a workaholic. tweeted the other day that they are working through the weekend to resolve all the issues. Right. But I'm saying in general, they've, I'm not saying these are correct. I'm saying these are the fights that they, they easily trigger people just like they triggered you just now. Then, there's, uh, then they also do like they take summers off, which is part of their kind of like don't be a workaholic thing. Um, and they have one more, which is sort of like don't depend on any platform. Um, so like don't be, don't be dependent on anybody. And these platforms I get it. You. And I like a lot of their philosophy. I just think it's st- stupid when you make rules. You know what I mean? Like when you make rules around something, it's like, dude, not everything has a rule. Like a lot of times, like you can't say that you are anti-VC. I'm not anti-VC at all. Right. I'm just like pro, like let's be logical and let's look at a variety of options. Right. But that doesn't sell, right? So, so if you just looked at it in terms of like, if, they, if you just said they're doing all of this for marketing purposes, um, if, you, if you believe that to be true, then what they've done is incredibly effective. It's sort of like Buffer, right? Maybe you don't agree that you should transparently put all your company salaries and revenue and, and, and losses out there publicly. But if you looked at it like marketing, it's been undeniably effective at marketing the company. No, I'm on board. I think, look, uh, it's working for them. I just think that some of their opinions are bullshit, but uh, I like them a lot. And I think that it's incredibly effective for them. So why don't you pick more fights? That was kind of my takeaway when I saw this. I feel like you guys could do way more of this. Uh, I think we should. And I so like, let's I come up with a game plan you. right now. So uh, I just the, picked a fight with a guy today. Did you see my Twitter? Yeah. Okay. I'm looking at your Twitter right now. So you picked a fight with this two VD, VLDY. Is that the person? Yeah. So what, what is this? Tell me what happened. They copied my landing page. They copied trends <laughs> completely. And I just, they're full of shit. Um, and I emailed them and told them to fuck off and, and they like try to justify it. I'm like, no, you're, you're lying. Like I just looked <laughs> you up on web archive. You just copied our page. Like I see when we launched and then when you launched you right. word for word ripped us off. That's, uh, okay. So you picked a fight with them, but uh, that's actually, uh, if you look at like what the rules are of this game, that's actually a bad fight. You don't pick yeah, a fight exactly. with people littler than you. You got to pick exactly. a fight. So who should I, what should I do? You think? Well, you said New York Times. So first I was thinking, because uh, you guys have uh, as a competitor, like uh, Morning Brew, right? So like they pretty similar, pretty, they're kind of similar size. And that's one that could be more like PewDiePie versus T-Series where the feud actually would help both sides grow. So <laughs> that's more like wrestling where you could be like, cool, I'm going to attack you. You attack me. This is just going to generate a bunch of buzz. It's sort of like the Barstool Caller Daddy thing where it's like both sides end up more popular and uh through the through the drama so like that's one that I, I think you guys could do the other one would be more like against the mainstream uh mainstream media which could be new york times now there has to be some level of authenticity to it um so it's got to be something you genuinely do believe like it could be the thing that like why are you guys pretending like you're not biased um but that doesn't tell a great story about you guys and what you do it's not that you guys are like it's not that the value prop of the hustle is to be opinionated clearly and be subjective, not even try to be objective. I don't think that's like what y'all do. So I think you got to pick a fight that A, makes sense, B, is polarizing, uh, and C, somehow tells the story of what the hustle is all about 
by being the opposite of the thing you're hating on. I thought about making fun of the skim because I think they're like a joke. But then I was like, I, I, I don't know if I would win that fight. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's something here because I think in general, you do have strong opinions about things. Um, but I don't see that come through via the hustle maybe intentionally maybe, maybe you've censored it maybe you haven't but i think you no, guys could i'm do not well in with favor this. of censorship um how about this um let me let me let me a small tangent something that i'm we're testing and i'm thinking about launching is i'm pretty obsessed with the idea of expert opinion as opposed to journalist opinion and one thing i'm testing is i've built this network of like a thousand experts and every day we're emailing them stories and getting their opinion and we're going to just publish their opinion. We're not going to touch it. We're not going to edit it. We're just going to say, here's exactly what they said. Right. And that's interesting to me. And I'm going to get people to pay money for it. Yeah. I think that's actually pretty dope. Um, it's I like a private the, Twitter. I saw the um, like mock-up you guys did. I didn't love that, but I love the idea of this because when I think about it, this actually what I care about, I care about what do the people who actually know their shit think about this and not the journalist with their opinion, the editor with their agenda, the journalist talking to an expert and then like siphoning off one quote and having that be, you know, that fitting into some narrative. I just like, let's say it's the, like right now the NBA is about to resume and there's a big debate. Should they come back or should they not come back? Um, some of the players don't want to come back because of coronavirus. Some of the players don't want to come back because it takes away from the black lives matter movement. Um, and there's all these ESPN talking heads that talk about this. Like there's literally this guy, Brian Windhorst, who's like, you know, the opposite of a basketball player. He's like a short, fat white guy who's never played basketball. And he's always talking about what should happen, what shouldn't happen. And I'd rather just be like, cool. The, the, the ping goes out to all the NBA players. And here's the 80 responses we got back. LeBron said this, I don't know if it's anonymized or if it's with their name, but that would be way more interesting to me. It's like, here's what they actually think. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking about building or that's what we're, we're attempting to build. And, and in that case, the enemy to me is clear. It's Just like journalism as a whole journalism, because yeah. if you think about it, like we don't need you, You're everyone the with man. the phone is a journalist. And I right. hate when I hear, I, I hate the fact that journalists, journalism is a circle jerk on Twitter. Like they only want to impress each other. They don't want to impress their audiences. Like you have to, like what I tell our team, I'm like, guys, we don't serve each other. We serve our readers. Like we are their waiters. We are their servants. We exist to give them information. Um, and my team who has worked at a variety of places are like, well, that's so different than other places. Cause it's all about how do we win awards or right. <laughs> how do we, uh, do this or that? And I'm like, yeah, I, that, that baffles me that that is the thing. Right. So that's our enemy for that. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I think that could be good. Um, cool. Pick a fight. I like it. Okay. Um, I have, a, I have another random idea or, or thing to talk about. So we both like this comedian, Chris D'Elia. And uh, he was a funny guy. We thought he was great. The best. I'll speak for myself. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you felt, but we thought he was hilarious. Whatever. He's a comedian. I thought he was the best. I've I've, I've seen him live a couple times. And um, I listened to his podcast a bunch. That's one of the few podcasts I listened to. Anyways, last week gets exposed as sort of like a creep. And so a um, bunch of people come out and say, hey, Chris D'Elia was messaging me when I was you know, 17, 16 years old. Um, and asking me for nude pictures and all this bad stuff, right? So a whole bunch of people come out at once. Turns out Chris D'Elia is creeping around or allegedly creeping around. And so this comes out. He's sort of getting canceled right now. Um, so two questions for you. Um, Art, 
question for you. What was your reaction when that happened? Um, and then I have an idea based on that. My reaction was if uh, I was even bummed that he was accused uh, and the evidence was pretty damn strong. Pretty and damning. so I believe it to be true. And in my head, I think, well, fuck you. <laughs> like you're, <laughs> you're the worst. So I feel pissed off because I, I was a huge, huge, huge fan. And uh, I, uh, I don't know. I'll still listen to his jokes, but uh, I will not like support him financially. Yeah. So that, that was my other question. Well, if you're listening to him, you're still supporting him in some way. I guess uh, so. Right. But I, I don't know if I would pay money to go see him. Right. So, so that's kind of my other question is, uh, and nobody really talks about this. It's sort of like, cool, I'm a fan or you're canceled. But I think in reality, you know, as so many people, this is, you know, two of my favorite comedians, Louis C.K. and Chris D'Elia, both came out to be doing really creepy, messed up behavior. But there's also people who are clearly still fans of Louis C.K. They're probably not fans of what he did, but they're still fans of him. They'll still listen to his stuff. They'll go to his shows. And I was wondering, how do you deal with that kind of like being torn between like, well, you don't like what they did and maybe you don't even like the person, but you kind of like their art, you know, like, I don't know. Do people still well, watch I the still Cosby like show it. or so whatever, like, you know? Yeah, I still watch the Cosby show. I listen to R. Kelly. I love Michael <laughs> Jackson music. Here's my logic. Right. Here's here with great people, people who achieve greatness, who are like world class at the craft are nine out of 10 times fucking weird and <laughs> hopefully only weird. Sometimes they're right. also bad people. Right. And I just accept that like the people who I like are also good. There's a great quote where it says like every great man's a bad man. Um, and in this case, it is incredibly true. Where like he's, with all this great stuff, he just has also done a ton of bad shit. So I still like will absolutely listen to his stuff, but I won't. Uh, I think he's a piece of shit. Right? Isn't that weird? Uh, that's I, I'm sort of in the same boat. I don't know how to feel. It's, that's why I brought it up because I'm. Like, that's not weird. I mean, if you like, surely like, I don't know. I don't. I don't even like it in political, but maybe like chick like Chick Fil A. It's like, dude, my taste buds don't know that you hate gays. Right, right, right. <laughs> so it's like I can. It's hard, you know. I could, I could disagree with you, but still enjoy your stuff, right? Yeah, and I think that, I mean with with all with all that's coming out, um, everybody's gonna have to figure out how they're gonna deal with this because your favorite something musician, athlete, comedian, politician, one of your favorites is gonna go down for being a total either asshole, creep, criminal, bad guy. You know, so, something's gonna come out, and um, I think everybody's gonna have to ask themselves cool, how am I going to deal with that? Am I going to still consume their stuff that I like? Or am I going to protest it? Am I going to think they're a piece of shit? Am I going to be conflicted? What's going to happen? It's like, it's like you know, Martin Luther King's one of my heroes. But he also cheated on his wife a lot. Right. Or that's like the rumor. Um, so it's like... Yeah, I had heard about that. That's really crazy. It, apparently, I, I just learned about this, but like the FBI was tracking him for a while because he was seen as sort of like a potential enemy of the state. And they like bugged his hotel rooms or whatever. There's reportedly, uh, no one's seen this, I guess, but it's, there's reportedly tapes of him sleeping with like 40 different women, you know, outside of his marriage um, and participating in, you know, some sort of sexually deviant activities. But he's Martin Luther fucking King, right? And he's got like, you know, a day, a day named after him and everything else. Yeah. So uh, that's what my opinion is just like everyone who's great is also bad in another person's perspective. And you just, you just got to take the whole person. Right. Okay. So the idea I had off this was actually um, 
a WikiLeaks for creeps. Because one of the things that was really disturbing that came out of this was not just, oh, this guy I thought was cool, I liked, turns out to be not so cool, and I don't like what he did. Um, but it was like a lot of these text messages were from like 10 plus years ago. And so, and same thing with like a lot of the people that get canceled, like the Bill Cosby stuff, a lot of that stuff I think was happening like in the nineties or something like that. And it takes sometimes decades for the stuff to come out. And I think that's a shame because, you know, a, the person sort of gets away with it and continues to harm other people or sort of, you know, be a, you know, a menace in society is out on the loose as long as these things stay secret. But I understand why people don't expose things because then they get tied up and wrapped up in it and you know you could see the girls who came out and, and said something about crystalia their twitter they're getting attacked by his fans who are like you know well why'd you why'd you send them the picture and like stupid stuff like that and so i think there needs to be sort of a WikiLeaks for cre- creeps um where there is a there is a way to dump anonymously uh, evidence and claims against people. And then there needs to be some sort of like verifying function, like a set of journalists, kind of like the people who went and studied the Panama papers and like dug into it and try to figure out which, what's real, what's not. Um, but like a guaranteed sort of anonymity layer so that, you know, information can get out faster. What do you think of that? As long as there's a trustworthy third party to verify, I'm into it. It's right. just so easy to accuse people of doing bad stuff. Totally. And that's the reason this can't be a company because you'll just die of sort of libel and slander, you know, like, because anything that turns out not to be true, you get just get sued out of existence. I think there was like a, a, a there was an app that used to rate guys. I think it's called Lola or Lala. Or Lulu I remember or that. Like this. I remember uh, that. I, uh, my roommate was rated on it and it said like, not so nice shit, things. cheated on me and like small dick. And I was like, oh, dude, that sucks. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, right? I mean, <laughs> that sucks. Um, and so, yeah, like, I think you can't really do this as a company, but I think for society, it would be good if there's a way for people to be able to come forward about bad behavior better, for a whistleblower network to come forward and not just about like how WikiLeaks is about sort of documents around certain things, but actually around, you know, racism, sexual harassment, things like that. I think there needs to be something like this. And obviously I haven't put a lot of thought into this. I'm not an expert about this stuff, but when I saw that it it takes 10 years to come out, I'm like, something's broken. Yeah. It is crazy that like Hannibal Burris joked about that Bill Cosby thing. And his joke was something like, what? Everyone knows this. Everyone knows this guy. Harvey Weinstein. Everybody knew that. Like everyone, we all talked about this. We all know this. And it's like, whoa, 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 what? I didn't know this. This is crazy. (laughs) Like I I wish I would have. Um, I agree with that. I also think that there's a lot of room to, deconstruct wikipedia i think wikipedia is i i'm like i wouldn't say i'm a hardcore libertarian but i'm libertarian or i tend to be on a lot of topics and i think that wikipedia should actually be a non-profit or some type of like owned by the government and should be like a national treasure that yeah the department of education should just own wikipedia and fund it through you know what is the look up the department of education funding and i bet that would cover you know, easily, easily what, what Wikipedia needs to stay around. And it's doing a hell of a lot more than the Department of Education probably is. Isn't Wikipedia already in a nonprofit? It might is be it? a nonprofit, but I want to make sure it never goes out of business. I think that Wikipedia is a treasure. And right. same with Wiki, uh, Reddit. I'm like, Reddit, don't make money. You don't need to make money. Well, you just ask, put a little donation thing and just t- let us see your expenses and I'll just give you a little bit and everyone will. It's like one of the few things where I'm like donation or government funded is the way to go. Right on. Uh, okay, I want to give people in the last four minutes 
Oh my God. Department of education, 68 billion in funding. Yeah. They could afford to, to fund. How much do you think Wikipedia? I don't even know. I mean, if you're, if you have 5 billion page views a month, how much? Well, they say on their thing, we need this much to survive. I don't know what it is, but it's like, I, it's nowhere, I don't think it's above 2 billion. I, I, I don't think it's. I don't even know. Like that. what, what do you think Twitch costs to run? Like well, if you I had no know, people. So just, I can't say. Okay. If I, or just for the hosting, like I'm ignorant. I know nothing. Does it cost more than 10 million? Do you think it would cost more than 10 million a month? Yes, but I can't. I can't say about Twitch. But I would just say Wikipedia. I'm, no, Wikipedia. Sorry, is, Wikipedia. Yeah. You think Wikipedia costs more than ten million dollars a month just in hosting? I think it's probably about that. That'd be my guess. So Maybe they need uh, two hundred million dollars a year. AWS could just fund it and be like, "Hey, this is powered by AWS. It could be on every page. Powered by AWS, get free hosting." Um, that way, Wikipedia's funding is around hundred million a year. Right. There it is. Um, okay, so I, let's give them one more idea before we go because we talked about a bunch of random topics today. Um, okay, business idea. So I just got my new house and I'm renting this place. And as part of it, you need renter's insurance. And so I'm like, oh, fuck, here's a task I don't want to go do. You got to go get go, lemonade. Yeah, I got to go do whatever. But then I was thinking about it. I was like, and the guy who's telling me I need renter's insurance is the broker, the agent who like rented me the house. And I was like, why isn't this just part of the lease where like you're like, hey, by the way, check this box because you need renter's insurance to so just do it through me um, and you have your renter's insurance done. And so obviously this guy is not an insurance company, but what I think you could do is create a back office insurance company where the storefront is actually just all the rental agents and brokers that already are talking to the customer, just signed the deal. They're the ones trying to enforce these terms and force you to have insurance. Um, why aren't they empowered? So I'll give you an example of this. I have a buddy named Guy Gal. Great name. Fucking top five name. Guy and Gal? Guy Gal is his name. Oh, that's great. And uh, Guy has this company um, Guy called Gal. Rise, I believe, is the name of the company. And what he does is he's like, hey, you know all these, when you go to sell a house and the sign goes up and it's like Caldwell Banker or like yeah. whatever, KB Homes or whatever it is. It's like always the brokerage name. And then like the agent is kind of like a very secondary footer thing. Um, he's like, Dude, the, the, the world is shifting where the agents really want their own brand up front. The agents are the one who go do the marketing, the sales. So what he did was he's like, he go and, and the brokerage takes a huge fee. So when an agent gets their fee, I think the brokerage would take 50%. And so he was like, look, through technology, I can make a more streamlined brokerage. And what I could do is I can be a hidden back office for any agent. So you're the agent, your, your name is Alex, you know, Alex Rompero. Well, you could just be the Rompero group and you could build your brand as the, as the storefront. Forget Caldwell Banker. You don't need those guys. I will be the, the back office. I'll take care of the legal compliance and paperwork that the brokerage normally does. And I will only charge you X percent fee. And it's, it's less than the 50% that, that isn't this that exactly what Caldwell Banker does. Caldwell Baker does it, but they are the back office, but they put their brand first and um, a broker can try to like kind of put their own marketing front on top, but it's not their core model and they take a huge cut. So what this guy did, what, what he did with Rise is really smart. He, he targeted the top 1% of agents in every market. He goes to them, he said, dude, you're a top 1%. You don't need Caldwell Banker. You are the brand. And he said, bring your book of business to me. I'll do the same work that they do for you with the lower cut. And I'm going to, um, and look, you push a button, your website gets spun up automatically. Um, I'll take care of all your sort of technology needs. And I take 15% instead of 50% or whatever it is. And um, so I think it's a really smart model. He, he's doing really, How really well. How much money is he doing? I can't say, but the company's doing well. And I think it's a really smart model attacking a very big space, which is this back-end brokerage thing for home sales. 
I think you could do the same thing for insurance. I think you could build an invisible insurance company and have the brokers or the agents be the storefront and just say, hey, you should just offer this to all your clients when they rent from you or buy from you. I know that Compass kind of did this in the real estate space, but there's someone doing this for business insurance where, they, where they're trying to be a back office as a service. I've seen I think that. I think there's more that I think there's more companies that can do this that are not doing this today um, where you empower the agent who is already at the point of sale and you give them a thing to upsell that gives them a little bit of money and it makes your customer acquisition free and you just need to provide the back end service for it. So I think there's a whole class of businesses like this. Yeah, I need to go and research all this. I'm this in, this interests me a lot. I'm going to go look up Caldwell Banker. I don't even I see their signs. I don't even know what they do entirely. Yeah, deep dive it and deep dive Compass because they kind of disrupted this. Yeah, model and they crush bit. it. Um, all right, I got to run my, my computer batteries at 1%. Cool. Uh, I'm going to shut my computer. I got to go. See you. Me too. See ya.